Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Hey, good morning, New Hope Leeward. How are you guys doing? All oh, right on, right on. Glad you're here. My name is Alec. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Want to welcome all of you here at the Kapolei campus. And for those of you joining us online, wherever you are, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're continuing in our series called Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. I was going to say Here Today, Gone to Maui. But Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. Gone Tomorrow. And I love this series because it's basically the way we should all be thinking as Christians. This is all, all of us as Christians. And the, kind of the mindset of this, this series is this, is that we are looking at our lives, everything in our lives from a biblical perspective. Alec, what do you mean by biblical perspective? Looking at it in terms of the way God wants us to see it. And so looking at our, our, everything in our lives, our relationships, our jobs, everything, but looking at it through like, God, how do you want me to use this? How do you want me to be with these things? And we want to have that perspective because you and I, we tend to just kind of focus on the here and now, and we don't think about the big picture. But we want to have that perspective. I love the way Pastor Justin said it the other week. He said, we look at our lives now with the backdrop of eternity. So we're looking at our lives, but yet we see the big picture, which is we're headed for eternity one day. Can you say amen to that? Yes, and that's the mindset we want to have. And so throughout the series, Pastor Josiah, he talked to us about how should we see our possessions? How should we see our finances? Last week, Pastor Justin talked about how should we see sorrow from a godly perspective, from an eternal perspective. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this world. How do we see this world from God's perspective, from the perspective of eternity, okay? We want to shift our thinking. Now, got to be honest with you, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because this is the only world you and I have ever known, right? And asking us to think of something we've only ever known differently is like asking a fish to think of water differently. It's really tough. But that's our charge, which is to look at this world from a godly perspective. And what I love is this, is that our world, the world as we know it, yeah, the world today is not going to look like this when Jesus comes back. Amen. Yes. Thank you, God, right? There's not going to, when Jesus comes back, he's going to clean everything up. Government going to be better, right? Not going to have corruption, not going to have crime. Not, the things that bother me, I'm not going to have like graffiti, not going to have trash everywhere, right? And the number one thing, praise God, is that when he comes back, never again am I going to have to hear a car or a lifted truck driving down the street with the windows down going, I'm like, brother, really? I can tell I'm getting old, yeah, you know, because, you know, when I was young, I'll be like, God, I got stirs me, huh? But now I'm like, Uncle, please, roll your windows up, okay? Brother, we stay in Kamuki. My uncle in Makahaki near you, right? <laughs> Never have to deal with that again because Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make it all better. It's literally going to be unrecognizable. But until that time comes, we got to live here. And this world as we know it is quickly, like at light speed, it is dis dismantling, it is unraveling before our very eyes. Like what do we see in the world? We see war, we see disease, right? We just went through COVID, now we have monkeypox. I don't know what is mon monkeypox, I don't know what is it called, something, right? I don't, yeah, monkeypox, all these things, we look at, I mean just go on social media. Like I gotta admit, like I like TikTok. I think TikTok is it's, it's good fun, right? But you look at TikTok and you look at the way people act. I'm like, really? Really? Like, like society, everything is quickly just unraveling before our very eyes. So how are we to respond? Throw up our hands and say, ah, it's useless, no sense. No, no. That's not how God wants us to see our world. And so what should our response be as Christians? 
Well, here it is in your notes, if you're taking notes. With all that's happening in the world, our response should be to prepare for his return. That's our task. With everything we do, we should have the mindset that, Jesus, you're going to come back one day, praise God. What I want to do is I want to prepare now for that time. I want to make sure that I am ready for you to come back in every area of my life, okay? Now, what we're going to look at today is a parable. A parable in the Bible is simply a story to learn biblical truth, okay? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. And in this parable, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be prepared and unprepared for his return, okay? Now, before we dig into this parable... We want to know the context of what's going on. Because for us to understand the context, we can start really mining this parable for gems. Okay? Now, the context of this parable is that there is a Jewish wedding that's about to take place. Now, Jewish weddings in the first century, very, very, very different than our weddings today. And so before we jump into the parable, I'm going to just give us a helicopter view of what a Jewish wedding was like. Okay? All right. So here we go. A Jewish wedding... It, it looked like this. The bride, uh, excuse me, the groom, okay, if he wanted to marry the bride, he would go to the bride's house and he wouldn't ask her. He would talk to the bride's father. And the groom would come and talk to the father and say, I want to marry a daughter. And so they would agree upon a price to be paid, okay? Now, once the groom paid that price to the father, they were officially betrothed or engaged. Now, the groom would not take the bride back home then and then and there. What he would do is that he would go back home and he would prepare his house for the bride. Now, what's real interesting is that Jewish weddings are very closely, they're like a parallel to what we see in the Bible. And so the groom goes home to prepare his house for the bride. Remember what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said this, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Okay? Now, the bride... Okay, she knows that the groom went to go prepare his house for them, right? But she doesn't know when he's going to come back. She knows he's going to come back. But she doesn't know how long the preparations are going to take. And sometimes what we understand is that sometimes the preparations would take like a year. So sister is waiting for a year, right? Again, that's a long time to be waiting. But in the meantime, groom is preparing the house. Now, she can't even ask him, hey, when are you ready? When is, are you coming back? She can't ask the groom because it wasn't his decision. What would happen is he would make the preparations and the groom's father would be the one to oversee it and say, oh, not ready yet, keep going, da 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 But then and when it's ready, the groom's father would say, okay, now you can go get her. Remember what it said in the Bible, Mark 13. Jesus said, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only who? The Father. See, the Jewish weddings are, are paralleling what the Bible says. Okay? Now, the house is ready. The groom, brother, is ready, right? I've been working hard for a year. Like, see my wife, right? Okay, so the groom go, gets ready to go get the bride. But it's interesting, culturally different, right? Sometimes the father would tell the son in the middle of the night, okay, it's ready, go get her. What? In the middle of the night, go get her. Okay, so you know what? We're going. We're going. Even if it's in the middle of the night, we're going. So the groom would take his entire wedding party, all his friends, 
and they would go and if it's in the middle of the night they would have to have lamps because there weren't street lights back then in the first century right and so what would happen is they would all take torches or sometimes like in the case of this parable they would have lamps and these lamps were just containers with oil and a wick and they would light the lamp and so a whole bunch of them would get ready and they would blow the horn and they'll say the brother groom is coming prepare for the coming of the groom and they would all kind of make their way through the town just announcing that the groom is coming and everybody knew already what was happening right okay so they make their way towards the bride's house now the bride isn't just waiting there by herself what she has is her wedding party and in the parable the wedding the bridesmaids are called virgins okay and so the virgins are waiting outside her house and they have their own lamps and because they want to be ready, so when the bride, the groom's party comes, they can light their lamps. And the groom's party goes, hey, there they are. So they light their lamps. And the groom's party with their lamps come. They join together. And in procession, all of them now go to the bride's house. The groom takes the bride by the hand. Yeah. And they all walk together in huge procession celebrating. And they go back to the groom's house for the wedding feast, which would often take place over a week's time. This is a first century Jewish wedding, okay? Now, here's the problem. In this parable, the ten virgins, Jesus said that five of the virgins were unprepared and five of the virgins were prepared. Whenever Jesus told a parable, you and I have to do three things. Number one, we always want to look for God in the parable. Every parable he tells, there's God somewhere. we got to find what, where God is. In this parable, God, Jesus, is the groom. Now, the second thing you and I want to do is we want to look for ourselves in the parable. Because the parable got to apply to us. That's why Jesus is telling us, right? So in this parable, you and I are one of the ten virgins. we got to ask ourselves, okay, one of the ten virgins. Now, the third thing we got to do in any parable is ask ourselves, how do I apply this parable to myself? And here's the question you and I have to ask ourselves as we look at Matthew 25 today. The question we want to ask ourselves is this. Alec, of the ten virgins, which one am I most like? The ones that are prepared or the ones that are unprepared? And it's going to cause us to have to do some introspection, self-reflection and get real honest with ourselves and God. But the reason why Jesus does this is he wants us to really understand and see clearly what he wants for us. It's a good thing. Can you say amen to that? Okay, so here we go. We are going to dive into Matthew 25, parable of the, the lamps. Verse 1 says this, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, right off the bat, we got to look at the significance of the oil. Okay? Now, what is the significance of the oil? See, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, oil, okay, oil was a symbol of the presence of God. Presence of the Holy Spirit. Prophets, priests, and kings were often anointed for God's service, and they were anointed. Oil was poured all over them head to toe, just dripping with oil because it was a symbol of the presence of God being with them, okay? So 
What is Jesus saying right off the bat? He's not pulling any punches. What is he saying right off the bat about the oil? Here's what he's saying. Fill in your blanks. A lamp without oil is like a person without God. Romans 8 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, what's super interesting is that at first glance, if you and I lined up the 10 virgins against this wall, we would be hard-pressed to find out which ones had oil and which ones didn't. You couldn't tell because outwardly, there are lamps all look the same. You cannot really tell. Everyone looks the same, right? And so what, one of the things that Jesus is saying in terms of being prepared for his return, he's saying this, it is very possible that someone can say they're a Christian and look great on the outside, but have no relationship with God. It is very possible that you and I can come to church for years and years, can sing the songs for years and years, and even serve in ministry for years and years, but have no relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, look, it's, it's very important that you and I ask ourselves, is there any oil in my lamp? Do I truly have a relationship with God? Or am I just going through the motions because I have to or because someone expects me to? Or I think maybe I have a religion rather than a relationship. I think just by doing these things that God accepts me, which is like a works-based faith, right? I will earn my way into God's favor. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. Yeah? And so he wants us to ask ourselves those tough questions. Am I prepared? Do I have that relationship? Jesus talked a lot about this. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 21, he did a couple of things where he really honed in on this. During the Passover week, you'll remember this story. Jesus saw a fig tree. Remember that fig tree? Yeah. From far away, Jesus saw the fig tree. He's like, oh yeah, the fig tree, awesome. Fig tree looked great. Leaves, full bloom. Everything was there, ready to go. And Jesus comes up from far away, looked good, right? Jesus comes up to the fig tree and guess what? Didn't have any figs, no fruit. So Jesus cursed the tree. Why? Because any time a tree looked like that, that was a sign. That was a sign. The full of leaves was a sign that fruit was supposed to come out. But when the tree had lots of leaves but no fruit, that meant something was going on inside that tree and the tree was no good inside. Then he goes to the temple, which is a central place of worship for the Jewish people. He went to the temple where the presence of God was and the holiest of holies. This is Passover week, so... Jerusalem is just like swelling with like millions of people. And from far away, there's all this commotion and action, hustle and bustle going on at the temple. All these people in and out, in and out. What they're doing is they're coming to Jerusalem. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to make this pilgrimage once a year. They're supposed to come to the temple. They're supposed to buy an animal to sacrifice. And they're supposed to give it to the priest. And the priest is supposed to sacrifice the animal. And then, yeah, that's what they were supposed to do to worship God. But Jesus sees all these people at the temple, all this motion and commotion, but there's no worship going on. Because people are simply going there, paying their money, take their animal, give it to the priest. The priest sacrifices it and say, right on, I did my duty, I'm good with God. It is entirely possible to be a lamp without any oil. And this is the first thing Jesus is telling you and me. We gotta be aware. Okay? He moves on. Verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Remember? And all of the virgins, they became drowsy and they fell asleep. 
Now, every time I heard this parable, I thought that the key was, oh, they fell asleep, that's why. That's the problem is they fell asleep. That's not the problem. Cannot be the problem. You know why? Because the way God created you and I, we got to sleep. If we don't sleep, we physically will die, right? So the problem is not that they fell asleep. The problem is this, is that some of them didn't make preparation before they fell asleep. You see, if you fall asleep, it's not a problem so long as you're prepared. But some of them fell asleep and they weren't prepared and they got caught off guard. I'll give you an example. Um, at my wife and I, at our house, we have a, our living room and a sliding door and get on patio. And then there's like a grassy hill. And unfortunately, what happens when it rains a lot, all the water comes down the hill and it, our patio, right? The water goes up to our patio line and the water starts to rise because there's not real good drainage. And so what can happen when it rains a lot is the water can start to come over and spill over onto the patio. And if it keeps raining, you know what's going to happen, right? The patio is going to flood and going to flood into our living room and going to flood our whole house. One year, many years ago, we were in Hilo visiting family. And um, it rained statewide for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh. And on our back patio, we have like a security camera that shows the patio and you can access it remotely through an app. So for like days and days, it was raining. Like every hour, every half hour, I was checking the app. I was watching the water. Like, oh my God, no flood, no flood, right? And I'm watching this thing for days and days and days. Praise God, no flood, okay? But I couldn't sleep. Like nighttime, I get up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, I go make shishi, I come back, right? And I think, oh, God, oh okay, it looks all right, looks all right, yeah? Okay, I come back to Oahu, I told myself, you know what, enough worrying already. So I jump on Amazon and I bought this thing, it's like a, you, you, you unroll, it's like a big giant black fruit roll-up. And what the thing does is, when it gets wet, the thing swells up, so it makes like this massive long like barrier. And you can take two, you can stack them on top of each other, it makes a super huge barrier. And so... Recently, it rained a lot. And I remember I was a kid, so I put out the barrier around my patio. And that night was raining, was pouring. That night, I went to sleep, and I never get up once. <laughs> you know why? Because I was prepared. What am I going to worry about, right? I know already I'm prepared, and it's all good. And here, in your next blank, here's the point. Yeah, here's the point. There is a peace that comes from being prepared. You see, the point of this parable, Jesus is not telling us these parables to make us scared, to doubt our salvation. That's not what Jesus is doing. He wants us to just be introspective and ask ourselves always, am I starting to just kind of go on autopilot and just be religious? Or do I truly have an active, ongoing relationship with Jesus because one day he's going to come back and I want to be prepared? He continues on. The problem is that those who weren't prepared had a rude awakening. And here it is. Verse 6, at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. Trimmed their lamps basically means they lit the wick. Okay. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, you go to those people who sell oil and buy some for, for yourself. You can almost sense the, uh, the panic, yeah? 
you know, they're like, they're like sleeping, they're waiting, and it's like, ah, the, 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 the ram's horn, and oh, the bride, the groom is coming. They wake up, oh, oh, now coming, okay. They light, they light the lamp. Now, if your oil doesn't have lamp, only get the wick. So what happens is, is the, the fire burns. After 15 seconds, gone. And they're like, oh my gosh, we no more oil, we no more oil. Hey, give us some of your oil. And they go, no. <laughs> Whenever I read that before, I was like, oh, kind of brutal, huh? I thought as Christians, we're supposed to share, right? Right? Now, here's the truth about the oil. Either you have the oil or you don't. There's no in-between. The oil is representative of the presence of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. Either we have Christ or we don't. Either we have a relationship with Christ or we don't. Either we have the Holy Spirit or we don't. There is no in-between. And when they say, hey, hey, we don't have oil. Can I borrow some of yours? No. Brutal, right? No. Here's the point that they're trying to make. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make, and it's in your bulletin notes. It is impossible for us to borrow someone else's faith. I can encourage you with my faith. I can, we are told to encourage one another. Hebrews tells us, encourage one another. I can, I can support you with my faith. I can encourage you with my faith. But I cannot save you with my faith. You got to have your own oil. I got to have my own oil. If we take this ball further downfield, there's a tendency for us as Christians, especially second milers, for us to go, oh yeah, that's a tough teaching, man. Oil or no oil, yup. But nah, it doesn't apply to me because I already get I already get Jesus. I've been a Christian for a long time. And we tend to just coast in autopilot, you know, coast in neutral. We're like, yeah, this does not apply to me. It does apply to you and I. You know why? Because let's not just talk about having Jesus for salvation. There is a time when Jesus is going to come back. And you and I, even as Christians, we got to be prepared. We got to have an ongoing relationship with God because that is why Paul tells us to pray unceasingly. This is why Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily. Because you and I want to be prepared by cultivating a closer relationship with Jesus every single day. Because there will come a time, maybe not when Jesus returns, but before that, before that time, when we're going to run into a problem and we're going to be clamoring for Jesus, we're going to need his help. And what will get us through is having that relationship with God. I'll give an example. Years ago, um, a gal called the church asking for marriage counseling. And so I met with her and man, it was like two hours. She was just kind of explaining to me what the situation was. And I got to be real honest with you. Her marriage was a mess. And that whole time that she was describing things to me, I was like, I was like, I was like, okay, I was taking notes, and in my mind, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, man, you gotta help me because I don't even know where to begin. There is so much going on in this marriage; it was just a mess. And so finally, after talking, she just stopped and she goes, Alec, tell me what to do. What do I do? And I looked at her. I said, I I can't tell you what to do. That's not my place. That's not my job. So I said this, I said, what do you hear God speaking to you in your prayer time? 
or through the word? Do you hear God telling you anything through the word? And I'll never forget the look she gave me. She looked at me like this. She's like, And that blank look said everything. Because what I found out was she wasn't praying. She wasn't even casually talking to God. And she wasn't reading her Bible. She wasn't learning about who God is and how God responds and what God wants us to do. No praying. No reading. And what she basically was saying was this. Alec, use your faith and your relationship with God to fix mine. And I can't. I I couldn't. And my heart went out to her. But she cannot borrow my faith. And you can't instantly conjure up a relationship and closeness with God. It takes time like any other relationship. And so I felt for her and I gave her as much guidance and I gave her some things to do. Referred her to a, a marriage counselor. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we got to fill our lamps with oil. we got to have that relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know of four scarier words to me in the Bible. When I think of the scariest thing that could ever happen to me is for my God to look at me and to say, Ali, I don't know you. Never want that to happen. And here's the thing. You and I, we don't have to have that happen. There is a way for God to us to know us, and we want to know him. When I was in college, I had a friend, and um, we were just talking story. And he was telling me about, his, you know, growing up, you know, his, uh, he was, his parents were divorced when he was very young. And um, he was raised by his mother. And his father just was still on island, but just chose not to be involved. You know, once in a while, every, I don't know how many years, send a card or something, but never spent any time. And so when the guy graduated, I think it was his high school graduation, he graduated. And, you know, graduation, everybody giving late. And the dad shows up. And the dad is making this big scene. He's like walking up. Oh, this is my boy. He's telling everybody, oh, this is my boy. But I'm so proud of my boy. Big chest, all proud, yeah. This my boy, this my boy, yeah, my boy, graduating, graduating, this and that. And he felt so awkward because he never knew his dad. He knew his mom because the mom was the one that when he was small, he was sick. She was the one that stayed up all night. When he got his first girlfriend and they broke up and he was heartbroken, she was the one that consoled him. She was the one who he went to for advice. They would talk story. He knew her, but he didn't know him. And this is basically what Jesus is saying. There is nowhere in God's heart that he willingly wants to kick anybody out. But he's saying this. Look, it's very important that I will come back one day. And either I know you or I don't. So it's important for all of us to do some self-reflection and Be honest. And again, it's not about being afraid or doubting our faith. Sometimes we'll have doubts. 
But we take those doubts and we bring those to the Lord and say, hey, God, check my heart. Do I really have a relationship with you? Yeah. And here's a little hint. For anyone who doubts their relationship with God, you're, you're pretty much, that's a good sign that you're a Christian because a non-Christian don't even care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's a chance where Jesus is saying, always, always be prepared. Check yourself. I got to check myself all the time. Okay. Verse 13, Jesus ends it by saying this. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Yeah. Now, this parable, I know it's a tough one. Whenever Jesus tells us, there's hard sayings that Jesus gave us, yeah? Just, just know that this is not Jesus trying to be mean. This is not Jesus, you know, some people have a picture of God, you know, with a beard and a bony finger. Every time we do something wrong, God's like, ah, see? See, I told you, you rotten. <laughs> right? That's not God. No ways. Yeah, that's not God. Here's what Jesus is doing through these parables. Tough to hear, yeah, sometimes. Try prep one message for a couple weeks on this guy, yeah? Oh, man, I'm just like sitting there prepping and I'm like, man, more times I'm saying ouch rather than amen, right? Okay? Now, here's the thing. The honest truth is this. Just because I'm standing on stage talking to you doesn't mean that I'm guaranteed. You look at me and you go, oh, who going to heaven? Oh, she means who going to heaven. You don't know. And I'm so deceptive. My heart is so deceitful that I could be faking it. Yeah? And some of you are going, yeah, I knew Shimizu. You get the beady eyes there. You're a liar. I knew. I knew something. <laughs> nah, here's what Jesus is saying. Look, we just got to get used to being super honest with ourselves. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like a doctor. And these parables, it's like a real good MRI and he's checking everything, every little nook and cranny. I don't know about you. When I take MRI, I want them to find everything. Don't overlook anything. Check it all, right? That's what Jesus is doing in these parables. He's saying, Shimizu, wash yourself through the parable. Apply it to yourself. And when Jesus looks at the parable and he looks at my heart and he goes, Oh, 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 Shimizu, right there. He said he's part of your character. Yeah, right here. This part right here. So look at this. And he shows it to me and I go, ugh, ugh, ugh. I'm like, look at this part. When I wake up early for go to church and I do this. No, 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 that part is all good. But we got to take care of this. Look at this. And I go, ugh. And I got to look at it. And Jesus says, I want to take care of that. I want to fix that. Because this can hurt everything else. So let's work on this. That's what the parables are for. And God loves you. He loves me. He died for this so that we don't have to suffer from this anymore. And so when we look at these parables, just imagine that God is doing some good detective work in our heart. And anything that he finds, let him show it to you and me and say, God, help me with this because I don't like it. And Jesus says, yeah, let's work on it together. God is good. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's give God a hand. We're going to do a couple of things as we close out. First of all, for those of you who have no oil in your lamp, you're like, Alec, my lamp has no oil. It's okay. Because in a while, after we pray, our, after we pray out, Pastor Alex is going to come out and he's going to play a song called I Surrender. Listen to the words and surrender your life to Jesus. 
And then we're going to have a chance for you to literally change the backdrop of your life, to change the address of your eternity. We're going to have that chance for you to do that in a few minutes. Now, for those of us who have already accepted Christ, we want to continue to fill our lamps with oil. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. As I'm doing this every day, I'm, I'm, I got to remind myself, what do we do? Surrender. Whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is that is that thing that shows up on the MRI, the thing that when we read the parables that makes us go, I don't like that, right? Take that and give it to God. Say, I surrender this to you, God. Whatever it is, just surrender it to God and he will work on this with us and for us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we get these messages, God. Sometimes it's like the message is not super inspirational, but God, it's like a strong cup of black coffee wakes us up, helps us to think clearly and gives us the strength to say, God, let's look. Take my heart apart, my character, my thoughts, my actions, everything, God. And anything you find, God, let's work on it. This is our prayer, God. We come before you and we pray that whatever needs to happen from now to the day you come back, let each of us be prepared. Not fearful, but with this kind of ticklish confidence, this ticklish anticipation, so that in the end, you and I can say what it says in Revelation at the very end of the Bible. We can make this our heartfelt prayer Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We love you, God. We love you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.